0: Welcome to the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. Our goal is to serve and encourage you as you build a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as we study the Word of God together in this week's episode. You can open your Bibles to, well, anywhere at this point. I'll tell you where to go in a few minutes. Sometimes it's just nice to open up a Bible and just let the Word read you rather than you reading the Word. Um, So a couple things. This is part four of our our Sacred Spaces series. This is going to be the last one in the series, and then we're going to jump off. We're going to use this last part to jump into something else. So as we get into this, there are a couple things that we, we need to go over. As we get started, the first thing is, what is a sacred space, right? We've talked about this every week. According to the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, a sacred space is a place where Yahweh is encountered in a special or direct way, by virtue of which the very places become holy and set apart from ordinary space. It is a point of reference to which people return, either physically or in memory. Sacred spaces, sacred places, are the site of once-only encounters with God, while others are places of perpetual visitation. Sometimes it's a one and done, and sometimes it's over and over and over again. Um, So, continuing that, what is a sacred space? Number one, a sacred space is where God is or has appeared. Any Point in time in your life where God has appeared to you is a sacred space. Um, even if you don't live that, in that place anymore, say you lived in Montana and you had a visitation from God in Montana, uh, that sacred space is carried with you because it's a testimony. It can live inside of you. Um, these places, number two, can be set off from the ordinary or the mundane spaces of our everyday life. And they also include land that God has claimed as his own and given as an inheritance. Our testimonies are sacred spaces in our minds and our hearts where the Holy Spirit dwells. Every time you have an encounter with the Lord, it sets up a sacred space that you can go back to in your memory to encounter him again. Every time. Right? So we have seven things that we look for in a sacred space. The first thing is lush gardens as in Eden, right? We've talked about this in episode, in almost at episode one, like I'm dealing with a podcast. In part one of the series, uh, Eden is our prototype. Everything that we're looking for in what a sacred space is can be found in the Garden of Eden. As you study Genesis 1 through 3 and then different sections of Scripture after that that include details about Eden, you will find every aspect of what a sacred space is there, right? So it's a lush garden. It's also a mountaintop. Eden was on a mountain. Um, Now, these holy mountains can be Mount Zion in Jerusalem, They can be Mount Sinai in the wilderness, um, and they can even be, point three, Mount Hermon. So in these sacred spaces, these are places that unite heaven and earth specifically, but sometimes they can unite hell as well. Um, David, in his Psalms, there are several Psalms where he will mention being wanting to get to heaven, to God's heavenly dwelling, but being on earth, and then asking God not to let him sink into Sheol or to hell, right? This is a sacred space that David is building in his worship with the Lord. Um, Mount Hermon is different because it's one of those places that has a lot of history to it that we're not going to get into today, but we will in our next series, um, which I'm excited about for is imagery of an access point running through the center or the navel of the earth. Uh, in Ezekiel 5.5 5 and 28.12, it says that Jerusalem is the center of all nations. It is a center point. When you study out where Eden is, it's in the middle of three or four rivers that just surround it. It's, it's a central place, right? Um, number five, special trees, such as the tree of life. Um, in Genesis, the main place where Yahweh meets his people after Eden is underneath special trees to the point to where there's at one point where a- Abraham is dwelling in the land of the Philistines and he plants a tree in order to meet with God in the land of the Philistines so that he's not taken advantage of. Where did he learn to do that? Well, every point in his history with God up to that point, God met with him underneath a specific special anointed tree, right? Part of the reason why Jesus was hung up on a tree, that curse. Now, a lot of the times we think of sacred places, spaces as a place where God blesses us. It's not just a place where God blesses us. Sometimes it's a place where a curse happens. God's presence brings both blessing and cursing depending on where your heart is at, whether you're obedient or whether you're sinful. That's something we haven't gotten into a lot in this series, but it's it's a fact of the matter. Um, six, presence of divine council members such as other angels or other Elohim. Um, Mount Zion is a place where God's divine council dwells with him. Uh, in, in Eden, the gates of Eden were guarded by cherubim with flaming swords, right? The garden or the ark of the tabernacle had cherubim on top of it. The temple in Jerusalem had cherubim in it, guarding it. Um, these divine council members are there. And then number seven, and this is what we're getting into today. This is the thing that I want to talk about today. A chosen human who serves as a priest unto Yahweh. In the Old Testament, there are very few people that got to do that. Um, in the book of Genesis through Exodus, there are very few people that get to be priests. And then God opens everything up and says, The tribe of Levi will be my priests. But that's only after Israel as a whole rejected being a priest unto Yahweh. So he cho- chooses a specific tribe of Israel to do it. In the New Testament, we get to serve as his priests. We're a holy priesthood. So, what are we? We're Christians. We're God's walking, talking, sacred space. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. We are God's walking, talking, sacred space. When we want to go, when we want for people, let me me start over. When we want people to have a divine encounter with the Lord, the first place we should be looking is at ourselves. Mm -hmm. Am I obedient? Am I lined up with Yahweh enough to be a sacred space for people to come meet him? Can people meet Jesus when they meet me? It's a big question, right? So look, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, uh, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are the temple. Isn't that interesting? Do you not know that you're God's temple? Well, what was the temple in the Old Testament? It was the ultimate sacred space in Jerusalem. Do you not know that you're supposed to be God's sacred space here? Right? And then he says, if you don't take care of God's temple in any way, shape, or form, God will destroy you. And I know in this verse it says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy you. But let me ask you this. How often do you neglect taking care of yourself? I'm not talking about the narcissistic, worldly self-love where you need to take a bubble bath every night and make sure that your, your nails are, are always done and like your hair is always done. And I'm not talking about, as far as men go, the narcissistic tendencies to spend every day in the gym. Um, sculpting your body to make sure it looks perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how often are you taking the time, first of all, to rest and to spend time in the presence of the Lord. One of the first commandments after commandments one through four, where it talks about honoring the Lord is that we would keep the Sabbath and make it holy. And when we talk about the 10 commandments, we love to talk about everything except that one thing, except the one thing. But part of the Sabbath is man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man so that we could spend the day encountering the Lord because in his presence, we find everything that we need. Being obedient without his presence is legalism and it leads to death. But his presence without obedience doesn't bring any sort of heart change and it doesn't allow his favor to rest on us in a way that brings everlasting change, not just to us, but to the people around us. And so when we don't take the time to take care of our temple, if we are the one destroying the temple that God has built inside of us, it's no wonder why we're sick. He says he'll destroy it. Right? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are God's holy temple. Do you know that? You are set apart. You're supposed to be something different. <clears throat> Ephesians 4. Let's go there. <clears throat> For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As the church, we are meant to be God's collective temple. We are Yahweh's collective temple. Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, but in doing that, in Jesus being the cornerstone, He turns us into living stones and we are constantly being built upon and built together. You guys see that? By the Holy Spirit, we are meant to grow collectively into Yahweh's holy temple. Now, sometimes what this means is people are taken away because their pieces don't fit. Sometimes it's for the good. Sometimes people are meant to go on to other things. I don't want to say greater things because as long as they're being built into Yahweh's temple, it's all the same thing. But sometimes they're meant to go to a different church or a different place. Their ministry may look different than what we're doing. And then sometimes people are taken away as stones because their stone doesn't fit anymore because they've chosen sin over righteousness. They've chosen their own visions and desires over God's vision and desire, and oftentimes we don't talk about this enough over the church, the church's vision and desire, because if we're all different parts of God's body and every church has a different mission, then that means at some point, if your mission, if your vision doesn't line up with that church's vision, then maybe you shouldn't be there, mm. and that's not a bad thing. I don't mean, I don't want to sound, I don't want to say that to sound harsh, but the reality is My heart, and I think God's heart, is that if your vision for ministry, if your vision for a church doesn't line up with the church that you're going to, then find a different church. Be knit together, be placed together, brick and mortar, into a place where you're going to thrive and grow and be held accountable and where you agree with the vision of the church. And you will let, and this is the other big thing, you will let the pastor of that church actually pastor you let the leadership of that church hold you accountable. Are you going to be respectful towards those things, right? And and is that pastor actually someone who's going to take care of you, right? Is the leader of that church actually going to shepherd your soul like they're supposed to? That's another big thing, right? These are all things that we look for when we look for a sacred space in the sense of like the collective church that we're supposed to be a part of. But what's What is the biggest deal is that a lot of times, so this is twofold. Sometimes it goes one way. Sometimes it goes the other. Sometimes we don't realize we have a hard time building the collective church and creating a holy space collectively because we ourselves don't realize that we're holy. We ourselves don't realize that we are God's sacred space and his temple walking. We are God's walking, talking temple, right? And so when we come together, we come together realizing that so that we can make the space that we're in holy. And sometimes, sometimes we realize that the space that we're in right here, right now, holy. But when we leave, what happens? We don't realize that we're that walking, talking temple, that holy space. Both are needed. Both factor in. You can't have one without the other. Because if you do, in either situation, you're going to be missing something. So we all need to come together and realize that as individuals, we are God's holy temple. And as a collective, we are God's holy temple. The holiness doesn't dissipate just because we leave the building. But it also doesn't grow because we're all together. Mm-hmm. Now, there's power in numbers. Where two or three are gathered. Jesus is there too. But also, where you are, Jesus is. His spirit is inside of you. We should have confidence in both. You guys with me? Yes. Yes. So get this, a new priesthood. First Peter 2 verses 4 through 10. <clears throat> As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, <clears throat> but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now you have received mercy. So so we talked about this a little bit when we did our tithing series. What does a priest do? Oops, I didn't click things like I was supposed to. What does a priest do? A priest, one of the main things that a priest does is a priest is meant to go into the temple and mediate between God and the people. But one of the other responsibilities often overlooked in the Old Testament when we talk about things because we don't think from an Israeli mindset or a Hebrew mindset, one of the things that priests were supposed to do was go out to the foreigners and those visiting Israel and proclaim the excellencies of Yahweh in order to provoke them to jealousy so that they may also come to believe in him. This is the work of an evangelist. We are a chosen race. What was Israel? A chosen race, right? A royal priesthood. Not kings and priests, but a royal priesthood. Some translations say kings and priests, and sometimes we like to break those things up so that some of us are kings and some of us are priests. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that we are decked out in royalty and we are priesthood unto him because we're all his sons and daughters. There's no difference. Right? Now there is there is the high priest, like let's say a senior leader over a church. There's still this idea and this concept of, them, of someone being... Uh, in charge, leading leading the charge. I, and I, I don't want to neglect that. But when push comes to shove, when we get to the end of all things and Jesus is looking at us all, he's going, you all were my royal priesthood. But even within the priesthood, there's a hierarchy and there are different jobs, right? So look, a holy nation. What was Israel supposed to be unto unto Yahweh? A holy nation. We are no longer American citizens. We are citizens of heaven. We get to have a dual citizenship here for right now. But our dual citizenship isn't meant for us to represent the U.S. of A. It's meant for us to bring the kingdom of heaven into everything that we do here in this country. So that this country eventually takes the shape of what heaven wants it to look like. Right? And that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Because we've received... His mercy, we are now His people. His sacred space. Sealed by His Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4, 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Right? We talked about this before. Humans are incapable of building a sacred space apart from Yahweh. Anytime we've tried to do it in the past, God wrecks it. The Tower of Babel is the perfect example. We built it out of pride and there was unity, but there was unity for sinful intent. We are incapable of building a sacred space apart from his presence. And his presence has to be a part of everything that we do. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because we are God's sacred space, not because of anything that we've done. We can't make ourselves a sacred space. We are His sacred space because we've received a seal, and the seal is His Holy Spirit living inside of us, each and every day calling us out, calling us to be better, calling us to righteousness, convicting us of sin, and reminding us of the day of judgment to come. <clears throat> We're trees. Do you guys know that? We are trees. Look at this, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord that they may be glor- that he may be glorified now almost anytime i've ever heard anybody preach on these verses they always bring up well everything except the last Two sentences, really. They love to the talk about the spirit of the Lord being upon them or being upon Jesus. This was Jesus's first message in the temple, right? First message in the temple. Or when we're praying for people to be healed or to receive a different kind of spirit from the Lord, we always remember, hey, God's going to take away these old robes and he's going to give you, what does it say? <clears throat> he's going to give you an oil of gladness instead of mourning. He's going to take away... Um, Hey, Jasmine's here. (laughs) Uh, um, He's going to give you ashes. Or, I'm sorry, he's going to give you a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. A garment of praise instead of a heavy spirit is what most translations say, right? We love to talk about these verses, but the next sentence is equally as important. He says that we are called oaks of righteousness. Why is this? Well, one, trees are sacred spaces. To the Lord. Two, when you look at an oak, a mature oak tree, that thing is thick and it is firmly planted. It is not going anywhere. Good luck trying to cut that thing down. So what is he saying here? We are supposed to be firm in our righteousness. It's not just that we have all these amazing things happen to us that we get, we experience this freedom. How many Christians do we know that have experienced freedom and then within the next week lost it because they didn't stand firm in their righteousness? Right? The reason is right here. We didn't teach them to stand firm in their righteousness. We only let them get blessed. And then they lost their blessing because they didn't know how to keep it. The tree grew no roots. Exactly. Right? Right? Which, before we get to this next point, brings it it brings up something that Jesus said in the Gospels, right? When he talks about the seeds being thrown out, what kind of soil is your heart? It's garden imagery. Again, he's trying to pull us back to this image of Eden so that we see ourselves as this garden that he is meant to be tilling and planting and bringing forth fruit in. He can't do that if it's rocky soil. He can't do that if we let... The, the crows, we let demons take away the blessings that he's tried to give us. We have to make sure our, our soil is good soil. That the seeds can be planted and planted well. So that they grow roots. So that when they're ready to spring up, the fruit is good. Because sometimes, look, and I'm sure you've had this at supermarkets. Sometimes you'll go and you'll buy an apple or something and you're like, man, this looks like the most beautiful, juicy apple that I've ever seen. You take a bite of it and it's it's not good. You ever had that? I've had that, which is unfortunate because I love apples, but sometimes I don't want to buy them because I'm not sure what kind of apple I'm going to get. The deeper the roots, the healthier the fruit. If we don't allow the roots to get deep then it doesn't matter how good the fruit looks. The inside of it is still bad. And so when we talk about ourselves as Christians being sacred spaces, how deep do your roots go? In times of trouble, where do you go? Maybe you backslide for a second, right? Maybe, maybe you're tempted. Maybe you fall into the thing. How quickly do you rebound, right? Does it take you a day? Does it take you an hour? Does it take you a minute? Or does it take you two weeks? How deep do your roots grow? I'm not saying we should be ashamed of either. What I'm asking is for us to be self-aware. Where are we at in our maturity with the Lord? Because these things are important. And it's not that we should be comparing ourselves to others. It's that we should be comparing ourselves to our past so that we continue to grow and be and, and move forward. Does that make sense? You guys with me? All right. We are protected by angels. Did you know this? Psalm 91. For he he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Right? We're protected by angels. Jesus said that whoever, whoever tempts these little ones and doesn't teach them the law or the Torah, he says that that person, it would be better if that person had a millstone tied around his neck and sank to the bottom of the ocean than to face the angel that guards that little one. Isn't that amazing? I know as we've, as Protestants, as we've moved like away from Catholicism, we don't always like to think that we have guardian angels, but we do. We do, at least when we're children. At least when we're children. I don't don't see anything. Well, that's another thing. So anyway, um, we have angels guarding us. What's interesting about this psalm, Psalm 91 is when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, this psalm was set apart from all the rest of the 150 psalms that we have in our Bible. Do you know that? It was in a jar of four other psalms that were written that were songs of deliverance from demons. So as far as we know, this is the only psalm that we can officially say, hey, this is one that we can pray against the enemy when he comes to attack. These angels are supposed to protect us from the forces of darkness. It lines up with Daniel when he's praying to the Lord and Michael comes and Michael says, oh, I was distracted because the Prince of Persia came after me, right? Well, who is this Prince of Persia? Obviously, it wasn't a real man. It was something demonic that he encountered on his way to answer Daniel's prayers that he had prayed to Yahweh, right? Worship creates a sacred space, creates a sacred space. One of the reasons over the past several months that I pray and I ask you guys, if Jesus walked into this room right now, what would you do? What would you do? What would look different about your posture if Jesus walked into the room right now? It's because our worship creates a sacred space a sacred environment for his presence to dwell. Look at this, Psalm 22, verse three. A lot of the times we look at Psalm 22 because it's it's prophetic. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus up on the cross. We don't always like to look at it because it's gruesome, it's bloody. Jesus is getting tortured. And a lot of the times, even as Christians, even after we're we don't like to look at those things. I like to look at those things. They keep my heart soft. Not only that, but they remind me that he paid a great price for me and the people that I get to minister to. He chose to do that. Right? But look at this. Verse 3. Out of nowhere. Yet you are holy, Yahweh, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. We've been grafted into Israel, haven't we? Romans 11. Been grafted in. So he's sits enthroned on our praises. The amount of breakthrough and blessing that we get can be directly equated to the amount of worship we are willing to pour out for him. The sanctity of a sacred space can be directly equated by how much the people in the room are willing to pour their hearts out to him and actually give them him everything that he has. Not according to what we think, but according to what scripture says. This is important because a lot of the times we go into American churches and we look at the way that people worship and we go, oh man, the way that they're worshiping is beautiful. And we don't even think about what the Bible actually says worship looks like. Eventually we'll get there and we'll explain it. We'll explore it and we'll see where we need to grow in worship. But it's something that I want you guys to be cognitive of. Every time we come together on a Sunday, if God is enthroned on your praises, are you really praising him? If you're missing him in the time of worship that we get to come together, that's not the room's fault. That's not the atmosphere of someone else that comes into the room. It's not, if, if someone's high and strung out on drugs and there's clearly a demonic presence on, on them, it's not their fault if you miss the Lord in, in a time of worship. It's your fault because you didn't give yourself to him. You missed it. You missed him. Does that make sense? Look at this, we looked at this last week, but God's glory fills the temple. 2 Chronicles 5, verses 11 through 14. And when the priests came together, excuse me, when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. If we're missing the Lord in worship, it's because we haven't consecrated ourselves. And we've looked too much at what divides us rather than what brings us together, right? And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Haman, uh, Jaduthun, their sons and kinsmen arrived in fine linen with cymbals, harps, lyres, and lyres. And stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. This happened for a couple reasons. One, this was the temple dedication. I believe that there was a, uh, a different level, a different manifestation of the Lord's presence because this was a place that was being dedicated to him. It was their first real service in it and everybody was there, right? So the glory of the Lord filled it. But we have to look at what these verses are saying are the prerequisite for the glory of the Lord being there. The first thing is obviously that, that we, we look at all the time is, is the instruments and the singers were all in unison. They were all going after it together, right? The second thing is all of the priests from every division, no matter, no matter what family they were a part of, they were all there. But, and we get those things right, I think, most Sundays, no matter what church you're in. But the two things that I think made the difference are, one, all of the priests consecrated themselves. They all made themselves clean before they came in and I know a lot of the times when we're talking to people out on the street and we're evangelizing we like to say, "Oh, well, you don't you don't take a shower before you take a bath, do you?" Like, don't worry about it. Just come in the way that you are. God will get you clean as you come. That's for people who don't know the Lord yet. For people who do know the Lord, you do need to take a bath before you come. You need to get clean because he commands us to get clean. Does that make sense? And then they didn't account for any of the divisions that were among them. They didn't care who was there. They didn't care what color their skin was. They didn't care what family they were part of. They didn't care what tribe they were part of. Everyone worshiped together to a a point to where no one could stand. No one. No one. Praise is our priestly offering. Do you know that? Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name, Yahweh. Jesus, Yeshua. Right? What can we offer? What can we sacrifice as as God's priests in the New Testament? Our praise. Because sometimes it is a sacrifice to offer it. Sometimes we don't want to. Sometimes we've had a bad day. Sometimes we've had a bad week. We don't want to say anything to the Lord. Sometimes we get bitter and we don't realize we're bitter. And then we wonder why, why I feel so disconnected right now. It's because, well, we need to consecrate ourselves, forgive the Lord because he doesn't do anything wrong and repent for our own misunderstandings. And then offer that sacrifice of praise again. Right? Obedience to the king. This is something that a lot of people don't talk about very often. I do. I like it. You ready? Did you know? So look at this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments is what Jesus says in verse 15 of John 14. Did you know in uh, Messianic Jewish translations that word commandments there says Torah? Interesting. I thought we weren't under the law anymore. Well, you don't have to be under the law if you're fulfilling the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to, not to destroy the law. And then he says, walk the way that I walked. Imitate me. Mm-hmm. You're only under the law if you're facing the repercussions of disobeying it. Yeah. But we have the power to obey it now. And I'm not talking legalism. I'm not saying we follow the letter of the law. That would kill us. I'm saying we follow the spirit of the law. We let the Holy Spirit interpret what the Old Testament says so that we can better understand it and fulfill it in modern day times because the times are different. We're not, we're not Israelites, right? We're not living in the land of Jerusalem. Some of the laws that they have are specific to being Israeli, to being Levites in a, in a priesthood that has a temple, a specific temple. And, and some of it is specific to Jerusalem in the land of Israel as a whole. So there's only so much that we can, well, there's a lot more that we can do and be obedient in than most people give it it credit for. But my point is, in Messianic Jewish translations, it says, you will keep my Torah. The word Torah in the Hebrew means to hit a mark. The word sin in Hebrew means to miss the mark. If you will keep, if you love me, then you will keep hitting the mark. You will keep my Torah. You will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. A helper to be with you forever. Some translations say comforter, but a helper to help you do what? Well, to keep the commandments. What commandments did Jesus give us? Nothing that wasn't already written down. Right? We don't like to say that a lot because we like to say, oh, the commandments of the New Testament. But for every commandment that's in the New Testament, you can trace it back to something in the Old. And Jesus said, if you teach lawlessness rather than teaching the Torah, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and to sink to the bottom of the ocean. We can't get rid of the law. We just have to bring new understanding to it and think about it from a different mindset because as Westerners, we miss it. Right? So look, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments, my Torah, and keeps them, he, it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Wow. In continuationist, In charismatic and Pentecostal communities, we ask for the Lord to manifest his presence to us all the time. The one place in scripture where he says he will absolutely manifest his presence to us is in the context of us keeping his commandments. Because in keeping his commandments, we are telling him we love him because our lives are laid down for him. In the Old Testament, I don't remember where it is in the moment, I know someone's probably going to yell it out to me, which is good. Please do it. But in the Old Testament, there's a specific place where God is like, you say you love me through your words, but I don't see it in your life. Sorry? Your word says, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Yes, that's the one. Do you remember where that is? Drawing the blank. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, Jesus repeated those same words. Right? Yes, he did. Yeah. He did but Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29. Verse 13. Why? Because he's looking for obedience. Right? This is important for us to grow in and to understand how obedient the, the... The way the Lord manifests Himself in our lives and in our homes through peace, through joy, through righteousness, the the way that he manifests himself and brings his presence to us is directly related and correlates to our willingness to keep his commandments. Because we can't just say we love him and we don't obey him. He said that if if you say that, you don't really love me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. and My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) I'll manifest myself to you if... You keep my word, because when you keep my word, you show me that you love me. And then my Father will love you. Isn't that interesting? Now, God loves us unconditionally. But that unconditional love, I think, is is interesting how it manifests itself at different levels. There's a love that he has for the whole world, including those that are sinning. And then there's a the love that he has for his people who obey him. Maybe it's the same, but maybe it's different. I don't know. Something worth exploring theologically, I guess. And look at this. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. This is one of my favorite verses that no one ever talks about. You guys ready for this? Because maybe you're thinking to yourself, you come from a Christian tradition where you go, oh, but the law is so heavy. Keeping Jesus' commandments is so heavy. How am I ever going to do it? It's the hardest thing in the world to do. 613 commandments. How am I going to keep them all? You know you keep more than that every day in America, right? We have like thousands of laws that we're supposed to keep every day. and, And it's clear that because we're not fined and because we're not in jail, we probably keep most of them. We don't even think about it. Anyway. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of Him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. That's just two verses. You ready? For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Whoa. I thought his commandments were heavy and burdensome. How am I ever going to keep them all? Well, the word of God says that his commandments aren't burdensome. When we look at that word burden, guess where we find it? Come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why was Jesus' burden light? Because he obeyed his father's commandments. Uh, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Isn't that interesting? I could talk about that all day. I love the Torah. I think it's so exciting. I think we miss out on so much of it. I think I think we're starting to realize how much we miss, especially over the rest of this, over the previous parts of this series, because of how much has been brought out. Because I mean, basically, all I've taught from is 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 the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, right? Like now we're getting in the New Testament. It's so important that we know what our Bibles say, even if we don't understand it the moment we read it. Because sometimes it's not about us reading the words and understanding it. It's about us reading the word so that the word reads us and it gets in our spirits. Because then it it matures and it ferments until it manifests in our lives. Right? So look at this. Conversations with the King. This is... This is another key part. Our conversations with our King. What makes us a holy space. The ability to be able to go to God anytime we want. Anytime we want. We can have a conversation with the King of the Universe at any one moment. Nothing stops us. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And then 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. And this is this is this is our jump off point for our next series repenting to see the kingdom. Because in order to in order to create a sacred space, we have to figure out what's not sacred. In order to clean a space up for Yahweh's presence to come dwell in it, we have to figure out what he doesn't like and then get rid of it, right? In order to love him, we have to hate sin. We have to hate the things that oppose him and oppose his kingdom. And I know a lot of the times we like to make Christianity out to be this very soft religion where we just love all the time. There's a lot of newer versions of Christianity I'm to say this, try to say this politely and nicely, that take away the lion, that take the lion out of Jesus and they keep him a lamb. But, but what I would tell you is in order to love something, you have to hate with an absolute hatred, whatever opposes it. Because if you don't, you will let that thing that is coming to destroy the thing that you love, destroy it. And so, We like to say, oh, well, hate and love cannot dwell in the same space. That's not true. There's a fine line between hate and love. And if you don't learn to recognize it and and respond in the proper way when you recognize it, then you will allow the enemy to trample you. Now, sometimes that's the enemy through people. Sometimes that's the enemy through circumstances. And I'm not saying that there's a demon underneath every rock, but I will say that in many cases, from what we study in Scripture, the enemy is behind most of the terrible things that happened to Israel. So why wouldn't he be be behind most of the terrible things that happened to us as the new Israel, as being people that have been grafted in? Right? And so if we we we'll say that we love God, but we do not hate the things that come against his kingdom. Then we don't really love him because one of the commandments, well, and if you sum up the commandments is that we are supposed to protect his kingdom and and be servants of his kingdom. How can we be that if we're letting the enemy destroy the holiness of his kingdom? We can't be, we can't be, right? So look, the greatest way to create a sacred space is through repentance, through repentance. If we don't change our minds about our identity, how to worship the Lord, and what is required of us to be obedient, then we will always continue in our sin and our space will never be sacred. No true awakening or revival ever started without prayer and repentance. Not one. How did Asbury start? Regular people got up and they were just like, Lord, we're sorry. And then it spread. It spread. When was the last time you were ever at a repentance service? Do we even have those anymore? We used to, years ago. Hey, we're going to have a service where we all repent together. Just come on and hang out. I've never been to one in my entire life. There's been repentance in the services that I've been to, but I've never just been like, oh, we're going to do repentance service. And as a church leader, maybe that's my bad. Because there are clearly moments in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel got together and they tore their clothes, put ashes on their head, and they said, the whole reason why we're here today is to repent, Lord. And then the nation changed for the better for a time period. But you know what happened? Because they forgot about that repentance, they went right back in the captivity again. Right. Repentance is every day. How often have we repented of something and we got the blessing, we got the freedom, and then we forgot about the fact that we repented, that we grew, that God set us free, and now we're right back in the same sin that we committed years ago. hmm Part of repenting is remembering our testimonies. So we don't go back to those sinful spaces again. We stay in the sacred space. The first thing Jesus said, his first message ever, ever, Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. Maybe we should start every church service before before worship and we have a a small time of repentance. If you came here unclean today, let's get clean. Repent. Hmm. Say it out loud, grab somebody, repent to them. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask them to pray a prayer of forgiveness over you. Why not? Hmm. We talk about being a family here. We can all trust each other, I hope. So why wouldn't we? James 4, 7 through 10. (laughs) Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We like to say that a lot. We completely forget the rest of the verses that come after it. Submit yourselves to God, and the devil will flee from you, brother. Well, guess what? Then you have to draw near to God, and he will draw near to, to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. This is written to New Testament saints. I know a lot of times we like to say, oh, I'm not a sinner anymore, I'm a saint. Uh, well, maybe you're a sinner if you're sinning still. That doesn't take away from the holiness and your identity as a saint. Hopefully, if you realize that you are sinning and you get rid of it, but he who sins is a slave to sin. Right? And purify your hearts, you double-minded Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So there there are two types of churches that I see most of all. This is the very generalization. But we see a lot of the church only sitting in this area where it says, Be wretched, mourn and weep. I see a lot of our Reformed brothers and sisters, they sit there. Church service is good if everybody's crying. And then we have um, our, our charismatic Pentecostal brothers and sisters are like, oh, well, church service is only good if everybody's laughing. And there's holy laughter in the room. I'm telling you that both need to coexist. If true repentance is happening, both coexist. And they can coexist together. And there can be a couple people in the room laughing because the Holy Spirit hit them. And then there can be a couple people in the room crying because the Holy Spirit hit them. And sometimes that crying isn't like a happy cry. Sometimes it is a deep, sorrowful mourning that leads to repentance. And I will tell you that if that type of repentance doesn't come first, then that joy is never going to come. Not the true joy of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. We are supposed to cleanse our what? Our body and our spirit. Kind of interesting how... Uh, We're supposed to cleanse our spirit. I thought our spirit was 100% sanctified from the day that we were saved. I don't know. It kind of sounds like it pokes a hole in that kind of theology. I'm not saying that it does or doesn't. I'm saying it sure does sound like that. And I think maybe we need to reevaluate what is actually going on in our spirit man. Because sometimes we make excuses for not repenting because we say that because the Holy Spirit dwells in our spirit, we're already 100% sanctified. There are theologies like that out there. I came from one. That was, that's what they taught in my Bible college. What I'm saying is that I don't think that our, that, our, that our spirits are 100% sanctified once we get saved. I don't think that. There are too many verses in the New Testament that say that our spirits need to continue in sanctification. Look at your salvation. Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Yep. Or uh, was it 1 Thessalonians? Brothers, I desire that you would be sanctified wholly, spirit, soul, and body. Cleanse every defilement from our body and our spirit. I think it's interesting that this one doesn't mention soul, but the other one does. Anyway. The thing that's the most important to the Lord is our spiritual being because everything else flows out of that. Everything. If there's sin in our body, then there's sin in our spirit somewhere. If there's sin in our souls, then there's sin in our spirit somewhere. Right? Sin is a spiritual issue that overflows into the rest of our being. If it's a spiritual issue that overflows into the rest of our being, then that means we must have to continue to cleanse our spirits with the Holy Spirit. That is my abbreviated theology on sanctification for you if you, if you want it. Uh, Isaiah 30, 15 says, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, in returning. Did you know that the word for repentance means to return, to do a 180, to change your mind. In repentance, we can say it this way. In repentance... And rest, huh, there's this idea of a Sabbath again, and rest, you shall be saved, and quietness and trust shall be your strength, but you are unwilling. I, th- I, think, I think a lot of the church is unwilling to repent and Sabbath, And I think the more we grow in our maturity, the more we yearn to repent and to Sabbath. Because at, in the end of Paul's life, his letter to Second Timothy, his letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy is the last letter that he ever sent. He said that he is the chief among all sinners, the chief. And I don't don't think it was because he had more sin in his life at that point in time than he did years prior. I think it's because as he grew in the Lord and as he grew to mature, he knew how terrible his sin was and how much even the smallest sin separated him from the presence of the Lord. And until we take on that mentality... Not, not in a way that we become full of self-pity and we have this like false pride thing going on that some people do, but, but in a way that's honest and sincere. I don't know how sacred this space that we create is going to be. And I don't know if we'll, be, if we'll learn how to keep it. But it takes us recognizing and returning to him in repentance and then learning to rest with him so that we can be saved. Revelation 19.7. I think this is the last one. Yep, this is the last one. I'll leave you guys with this. And the reason why I brought all this stuff up is because I know there are some people out there that say, oh, the Lord cleans us up. And he, and he does. He does clean us up to a degree for his presence. But after salvation, the onus isn't on him to clean us up anymore. It's on us to continue to get clean. Right? Yeah, I mean, we've just read a bunch of verses about it. We're supposed to be the bride of Christ. Check this one out. It says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. This is at the very end. This is at the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, the church, has made herself ready. He didn't make us ready. We're supposed to make ourselves ready. <coughs> <clears throat> So, look, this is where we're headed. I'm going to paint you a picture. This is where we're headed. Over the next several months, we're going to jump into the origins of sin. What is sin? Where did it come from? Why is it important to get clean? There are different words in the Old Testament for sin. What do those words mean? What's the difference between them all? How do we repent from them all? How do we change? And then we're going to get into worship. What does worship look like? What does prayer look like? These things that we've talked about today, being a New Testament sacred space, what does that mean? What does it mean to have our identities renewed and transformed into His image? And we're just going to keep building this sacred space here. And let it overflow into the rest of, not just our lives, but the lives of the people that come into the knock. You guys cool with that? Yeah. All right. That's good. I didn't know what I was going to do if you guys said no. Do something (laughs) else. Um. Let's pray and then we'll get out of here. Abba Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And I thank you so much for for today Lord I repent I haven't spent enough time in your presence I haven't returned to you I haven't returned to your rest you're so holy and so good You're the only thing that matters in this life, truthfully. Everything else comes out of you. Every good thing that we care about comes out of you and the blessings that you give us because you are good and you are merciful. Lord, teach us how to walk in righteousness. Teach us how to walk in your commandments. Teach us how to keep your Torah. Teach us what sin looks like so that we can earnestly repent and turn away from it. Your word says that we're no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but in the kingdom of your marvelous light. Lord, teach us to recognize the dark places of our hearts, to invite your Holy Spirit to illuminate it, to bring it to light. Lord, teach us to cleanse ourselves. Teach us to see you for who you truly are. Teach us to recognize what you're doing and partner with it. Lord, I know that there's a difference between our hopes and our dreams and what you're actually doing. Teach us how to recognize the differences so that we're not like so that we're not like the the disciples of John wondering what Jesus is doing and why he hasn't come for, for John the baptizer yet. I don't want to miss you. Lord, teach us to see you so that we don't miss you. Teach us to recognize what you're doing and what your plans are so that we don't miss them in the moment. Lord, we ask that you continue to create in us a sacred space, a sacred space. Knit us together. Set your stones in the right places. Teach us that we are holy, that we are your holy temple. Show us what's, what we're doing that destroys the temple. <laughs> so that you don't destroy us. How about give us a holy, reverent fear for who you are. Teach us how to worship again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. We pray that you experienced the Holy Spirit in revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you've been impacted by our ministry and would like to make a financial contribution, or you'd like to partner with us to reach the Highland Park community, visit us at www.myhpcc.net. We'll see you next time.